Welcome back. Let us start learning today. Today we are up to, up to our second se- segment. We're in the journey of the soul. So last week we looked at what is the soul. This week we're looking at a much more practical aspect of it, which is why are we here? Sounds like a little bit of a big question, but perhaps we'll have some practical answers to that question. Before starting today, I'd like to say, um, thank Hannah and Victor Bravman, who are sponsoring upon um, today's Bat Mitzvah of their daughter, Sarah. It should be a wonderful, wonderful hour and it should be a time of great simcha for the entire mishpacha. We are also thanking Leah and Steve Rocklin who are sponsoring upon the Boba Yom Yodzai today of Stephen's father, Mr. Henry Rocklin. Chaim Chunon Ben Shlomo Baruch. May our learning be a li'ilunishmasoi and may your continued living al Kedosh Hashem be a tremendous aliyah for his neshama. Be'ezran Hashem. This is a big question to ask, is why are we here? So we spent a little bit of time looking last week at what, comprom- uh, what, what makes up the soul, the different components, the physical, the spiritual. And now the question is, is so what do we do with that? So how does that impact us on a, ba- on a, on a, on a day-to-day basis? So for, for these purposes, we're going to spend a little bit of time today with one of the most transformational, thank you so much, one of the most transformational authors um, and Jewish thinkers um, in the last few centuries, and his name was Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato. He wrote many, 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 many books, um, most famous of which we, we all probably know is Mesilas Isharim, the way of the, uh, of the, of the upright or just, and uh, we, uh, we don't know, though, know necessarily that there are so many others. He wrote on an incredible amount of material, so much so that in, um, in, in fact a lot of his material was banned. <laughs> he, was, he was a very, very fascinating individual um, who lived really in the wake, uh, just after the whole Shabtai Tzvi movement. And he was brilliant. He was a Kabbalist. He wrote, um, he, he wrote so much and so early in his career that people were very concerned about his writings because the, the, the same ideas, Shabtai Tzvi rested a lot of his ideas upon Kabbalistic teachings, upon the Zohar, upon very uh, esoteric ideas. And when this young man um, came to town and he started doing the same thing, people were a little nervous about what was going on. Um, so much so that his books were banned and he was banned from Padua and he was ultimately resettled in Amsterdam and then, and then in in Israel, he was forced to rewrite his books without Kabbalistic um, insights. So a lot of the books we have today, which we are very blessed to have, are, you know, so to speak, with a Kabbalistic insight beneath the surface. Very, very fascinating writer. Um, he, he, was, he, he had encounters with divine agents. He was, uh, you know, he'd, he'd uh, contemplate issues and put his head down in the base medrash and then, and, uh, and, uh, and then you know, wake up and, 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 and have incredible discourses about what he had seen and experienced. He's a very, very fascinating individual. He lived to the ripe age of 39, right? So um, everything he produced, Das Tunus, Das Tunus Beis, Karach Pitre Chochma, all the books, Derech Limudim, all the, the you, you should just check out and see how many Svari Mu'as and, and his letters and his writings were in, uh, incredible. But he lived to the age of 40. People say that he was a reincarnation of the soul of Rebekah Kiva, which is why it's fascinating. Where is his grave today? In Tiberias, in Tiberia, right behind the grave of Rabbi Akiva, that's where it is. Rabbi Akiva missed 40 years of his life, and they say that the soul of Rabbi Akiva came back, and those 40 years were the, were the tikkun were, were for uh, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato. Um, he was, uh, the Vilna Gaon said of him that if he had lived, he lived just before Rav Mo, uh, the, 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 the Vilna Gaon, the Vilna Gaon said that if he had been around in his day, he would have walked barefoot to Amsterdam to have learned from him. So this, you'll just understand the, the writings. Now, he wrote many, many svarim. We're going to focus on the two most easily accessible of his svarim. The first is Mr. Sisharim, and he makes the following observation in the first chapter. And Mr. Sisharim is trying to figure out why we're here too. And so that's, that's the first chapter. And he says the following basic observation about the world around us. Here's what he says. He says, you'll see, if, you, if you're a, a truth seeker, you'll see. It is not logically tenable that a person must be living in this world because of everything around us in this world. Look at the life of human being leads. Do you know anybody who lives a life of harmony? A life of, of uh, uh, everything working out, of, 
of quiet. 70 years, maybe 80 years, says, the, says Tehillim. And, and most of them are full of, with all kinds of work and difficulty. A life full of pain, with difficulty. And then, at the end of all of this is death. Can you find a person, one in a thousand people who lived a very happy life? And then, and, and what? The person you say gets longevity, so they live to a hundred. At that point in time, they're completely removed from this, this, this world. They're, they're, in a, they're in a different place. They aren't even able to enjoy anything anymore. So he says, he says if you want to you want to look at the world around you and think, oh, you know, it must be, this is the here, this is the, the here and the, the here and now is everything. It doesn't make sense. It's not working out. <laughs> the equation isn't working. That means that the average human being is not going to live a meaningful life because most human beings suffer terribly. If This is the only scope of measuring things. In fact, um, he goes on to say, If the whole purpose of creation was just this world, Why would you need a soul if all you need to do is here? The soul is not gaining very much delight and enjoyment from this world, let's be honest. So this is this is the question that, that that he raises, and it reminds it reminds us of of like the story that's told in the Gemara at the end of Chulin and, and the Gemara in Kedushin about Elisha ben Avuya, who who witnessed a um, a father tells his young boy to go and get the eggs from the nest, and the boy climbs up the ladder, chases the mother bird, gets the eggs on the way down, falls off the ladder, and dies. And Elisha ben Avuya says. At this point in time, leis din veleis die, and there can't be justice, and there can't be a judge. Doesn't doesn't make sense. In the scope of this world, there's not enough time for it all to make sense. There's too much suffering. I mean, if you, if you think about it, you know, I was just discussing with somebody the other day. If you like, you know, when you look when you look through shul and you see bench after bench of people, and you look at every person, there's nobody who's, who's free of suffering. Everybody's got something. It just depends which department it's in. You know, we, and we should not wish upon um, 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 ourselves the lives of others. It says in the 10th of Aseris Adibros, it says, don't, don't, don't be envious. And it says, don't be envious of the spouse of your friend. Don't be envious of the life and the, and the possessions of your friend. Right? And it says, everything your friend has. So just actually in, in Shul recently, there was a, a person who came to, uh, the great-grandson of Rabbi Ariel Levin, who was, was in Shul yesterday, uh, yesterday on, on, on um, Thursday, we had a, chance, had a chance to meet him. I should be here tomorrow. And he said to me that the way that you understand, it's actually the Eitzah, the advice, is how do you not get to envy? He says, He says, if you knew what was going on in the rest of your friend's life, you would not be envying what they have in their driveway. Because it comes with everything else in their life. And everybody's got everything else in their life. And there's nobody who says, Echad mini elef, who's living a nice and, and calm and warm life. Not so easy. Right? There's, there's, there's stuff. Everybody's got baggage. And so what he was saying, what he's saying is that there must be something else. Now, this is not, this is just to clarify, this is not a proof of God. Right? So some people say, you know, oh, this, this is a very weak proof. It's not a proof of God. What it is, is, is that it's, it, things just don't add up. And when I go back to tradition that tells me there's more to what I see than there is, that, that, then that actually makes sense. It's very relieving to know that. But it's not that, oh, this is, my, this is the reason why I must prove that there must be something else. Because if that was the way we started, we could create all kinds of you know, psychedelic experiences to, to, uh, to, to, to get beyond the here and now. We have to, we have to appreciate this from, from tradition. So this is, this is the starting point. So what, what is, how does he express this? The, the example he gives is a very, very famous example. I'd just like to, to elaborate on that example for a moment. So the, the, story, the story that goes, and it's a very, very famous story, but let me just put it in my own words for a second. So you, you can imagine that there was this, this beautiful princess who grew up generation after generation of, uh, of, of royalty, and she, is, she, she, has no, she has no brothers. She is the crown princess. She's going to be the inheritor of the realm. 
and she one day decides that she wants to go exploring the world around. She's so fascinated. She looks out her window and she sees, the, you know, the vast, the, the vast stretches of lands, the woods, the mountains, the fields. She's so interested, in, but she's under protection. She's not allowed to just go where she wants. So one day she decides she's going to slip out of the dead of night and she and manages to get out past the guards and she goes out to the forest and she starts wandering around and it's just so beautiful and the and and the the, the bunny rabbits in the in the undergrowth and the um, and the birds in the trees and and the day is beautiful she carries on strolling and walking and the one thing about forests is that when you get deep enough into them every direction looks the same and that's what happens and then it gets darker and uh, she starts going and inevitably she ends up getting stuck and it's dark at night and she's scared and the forest doesn't sound quite the same as it did in the morning as it does in the evening for those who've ever been camping and uh, and uh, there's a lot of other noises and other things out there and she gets very scared and she's she's wandering around and she suddenly comes to a clearing and in the clearing there's a hut and so she's scared she doesn't know what to do so she waits there she sees there's nothing happening she goes to the hut the doors open and uh, and she she uh, fearing for her life out in the forest she she decides just to to sit there and wait but she falls asleep uh, as she waits, uh, as she waits in the corner of the room, and when she wakes up, she's terrified to find that there's a, a fellow who's approaching her, and she's 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 terrified. She doesn't know what to do. She has no protection, no recourse, and this fellow um, comes to her and, in a kindly way, offers her a very coarse blanket, and she takes the blanket and she falls asleep. And that, that's it. She wakes up in the morning. It's the it's the morning. There's no one there. She goes out and she finds that in fact there there, there is uh, you know a few a few fruits on the table. So she eats them up. She's very hungry. She goes out. She goes out. She's starting to look look around, and she sees this fellow standing at the edge of the clearing. And she just doesn't know what to, uh, to do. And he seems like he's calm and he speaks to her very uncouth language. She can't really understand everything, but he starts to speak to her. And he realizes that he's a kindly peasant, you know, a fellow of the fellow of the woods, you know, make you know, living in his little hut in the middle of the woods. And, and she has no way to figure out what's or, 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 or where to go or how to go and, and try may she, although she may, she finds no way out. He can't really understand her. But, you know, they kind of get along together. And ultimately, she, you know, the days turn to weeks and the weeks turn to months and she grows fond of him and they decide to get married. And she's living in the, in the forest. But in the deep of winter, the darkest of nights, as the wind is howling through the holes in the small, the small uh, um, um, wall of the small little hut, she, she thinks back and she, and, she, and she remembers. She remembers what it was like to live in that, 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 uh, that tower in, in, with the hearth burning and the servants giving her warm milk in the, uh, you know, before she goes to bed. And she remembers the chandeliers in the banquet room and, and she cries and, and her husband feels so badly for her. So he, he tries the best that he can. So he goes out to the backyard and he digs up a few potatoes and he puts them over the, 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 the fire in the, the measly chimney. And he brings it to her, to, to, to her with the, the butter that he personally curdled from the, the goat that he has in the backyard. And, and he gives her this gift of love and she feels even more disheartened because it simply doesn't match up. And says the, says the Mesir HaSesharim, quoting the Medrash in Kuala's Rabbi, he says, that's what it means, the soul will not be satiated because here we have a majestic soul coming from the realms of the spiritual placed and stuck in this very earthly peasant body. And the body tries to offer the soul as it cries in the absence of the world that it used to know and tries to give it baked potatoes. And the soul cries even more because it realizes that baked potatoes are just not what it used to have. And that's, that's the experience of the soul in this world. That, that's the way that Mr. Sushram explains it. And therefore we're having with this cacophony of voices, the, the needs of the soul and the presentation of the body and the, the and, and the, the lack of the, the lack of parity, the lack of harmony between those two is, is our experience in this world. That's the, that's the way he explains it. So this is the, let's let's take that as a starting point to, to, to appreciate this. That means to say that that because we have a soul, therefore there's something difficult. There's there's a, a lack of harmony. There's a discord in this world. The way that we live. That's a, that's his that's his starting point. Now in Mesiras Hashem, the way he talks about it, the direction he takes that in is therefore we need to be doing something to figure out what our soul really needs. Right. That's and therefore hence follow my my my, my program of growth based on this brice or about this, the different steps of Zehirus and Zerizus and Nikios and all the different steps, the necessary steps to, to figure out what you, your soul needs. That's what Mr. Sasharam is about. But bearing this, keeping this, this idea in mind, I'd like to turn to a different book that, that the Ramchal wrote, which lays out very beautifully. And for those who have not had a chance to read, it's really worthwhile. The Derech Hashem, the way of God. The Derech Hashem is essentially a four-part um, four encyclopedia of Jewish thought. And he lays it out extremely, extremely clearly. Because what he does is there's, para, there's chapters, 
and then there are subchapters and there are paragraphs and he labels every single one of them and it, it, is, it is laid out very clearly. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little few moments doing what I would call the 12-step program. Don't worry. Um, this 12-step this program is just about understanding 12 logical steps necessary to understand the soul. And that we're going to essentially move through the first or the, the second chapter and third chapter of Derech Hashem in, in, in section 1. That's what we're going, to, we're going to do together. And I'm sure we've heard different parts of this, but it's worthwhile understanding the, ne the necessary connections to get to this, uh, to, to this point. Um, we, are going to, we are not going to complete everything of this incredible edifice in thought because it, uh, there's, more, there's, there's much more, but we're going to start, start at least at this point. So let's start at the very, at the very beginning. The first thing he, he asks, and this is the starting point of the book, after he describes Hashem, which is or tries to, which is the hardest part to understand. But once we get past that chapter, which is about Allah Bore Yisbarach on Hashem, the second chapter starts, and I, what it does is I, sum, I summarized one line from each of these steps. Okay, so the first step is, is, the, is the basic assumption. Why was it that Hashem created the world? And he says, Tachlis Abriya, what's the purpose of creation? In a Tachlis Habriya, Hoya Lehetiv Mituvo Yisbarach Lezula. So Hashem wanted to do good to another. Okay, so let's just a few a few things to to uh, to clarify in this as well. Some people say this is the answering the question of why did Hashem create the world? That is not correct because that's not a question we can really answer properly because not every why has a justifiable answer. So, for example, you know, when, the, when the, in that in that uh, developmental stage where a child starts asking why, two three years old, why. And then you answer and they say, why? And then they answer and they say, why? And at a certain point, it doesn't work anymore. Why doesn't it? Let's, let's go through that for a second, right? Why are we going here? Right? It says, oh, because you need to see the doctor. Why? Because you need to, you, I mean, we need to make sure that you're healthy. Why? Right? And at a certain point, it's not gonna, you, you can't carry on answering anymore. Does that make sense? Right? So why, why is it that, 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 that you cannot answer anymore? Think, think about the, where's the logical breakdown? Because there's certain things which are beyond, you need to, yeah. Yeah, because the question becomes too complicated to answer at the time. I don't know if it's too complicated. I mean, you can, we can answer complicated questions. It's what happens is that in order to ask a why question, you need to have an alternative, right? So you need to have an alternative. So let's say I say like this. So why, why, why are you taking me here? So the, answer, the question is a, lo is a legitimate question because there was an alternative. Like we could have stayed at home. We could have gone to a friend. So that's a, fa a fair question. Well, we're taking you to the doctor. Why? Okay, that's a legitimate question because you could have taken me elsewhere, right? So it's to make sure that, that you're healthy. Okay, good. Why? Because there's an alternative, right? But at a certain point, you're going to get to a point where there's no alternative, right? Why, why is that you like the color red? <laughs> right? That's just what I like. It's, it's, just, it's just who I am. You can't, so why did God create the world is a question we can't fathom because we don't understand the mind of God and we don't have an alternative. There's no, there's no, there's no, we've not sacrificed anything. We've not put thought into what the alternative is. The question we can ask, and this is just to clarify in the language, is for what purpose? Okay, so this is, this, this is, this is the question that the, 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 the Ramchal is answering. Is not why God created the world, but for what purpose did God create the world? That's a, that's a legitimate question. That's something we can, we can figure on as well. So, so let, 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 let's, let's try to un unpack that particular question. Okay, this is important to know, because in order to understand why we're here, we need to know why God put us here. Right? Not, why, not why in God's mind He wanted it, but for what purpose did He create this business so we can understand our place in it. That would make sense, right? Now, you'd think this is the first question a child should ask, right? Because, <laughs> ironically, most people don't even ask it in their entire lifetime. But we should, we should figure out why this, why, why, for what purpose are we here in order to be able to know what we're doing. That's fair. You're in a company. Do you know what the mission statement is? So are you doing anything to climb the ladder to be able to be part of what that mission statement is? Are you, are you working on that? Do you know what the mission statement is in life? Let's figure it out. So the, 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 he says that the reason is, is because God wanted Hashem wanted to give to another. That's a very complicated statement because for a moment, oftentimes when I want to do something, it would indicate a deficiency on my side, right? So let's say I, I, I want to, to give to somebody else. Does that mean to say I need to give to somebody else? Is God imperfect if he can't give to somebody else? The answer is, of course not. God is perfect even without giving to another, which means so then what, so what's, the, what, what's this business? It must mean that God chooses to want to give to another. Does that, that make sense? God chooses to want this, not that he, and if you think about this for a moment, he chooses to want to become perfect. He chooses to want to, 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 to give to another. It's like 
I remember our foreman has a very beautiful way of saying this. It's like Parker Brothers decide they want to play Monopoly. Right? <laughs> and then you get a hotel on, you know, whatever it is, park, place, whatever country has different, different names for this. So we'll do America for a moment. Um, and, uh, and you put a hotel and, and Mr. Parker la lands on, uh, on, 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 your, on your hotel on, you know, the dark blue. And he says, I, I don't, I'm not playing, I'm not paying because I created the game. Right? <laughs> he says, well, that's not true because you chose to play the game. Right? So God chose to want to give. That doesn't mean he needs to give, but he chose to want to give, right? Then, then you get to the, other, the next problem is, what is Lizulasai? Who else is out there, right? <laughs> so the infinite doesn't have anyone else out there. There is none other, which means in order to be able to give to another, obviously God must need to retract his infinite, so to speak, the infinitude in order to create another to give to. Does that make sense? Right? It's not that there's, there are other beings out there that God needs to give to. God is going to create those other beings in order to facilitate giving to them. But he chose to want to do that. Not that that's necessary. It's not that he's finding anything outside of infinity. So this is a very complicated statement in and of itself. But let's, let's take that, that, that assumption. So God wants to give, give goodness. Now let's just stop there for a moment. Just appreciate this for a moment. That means that if anything else, forget any of the next 11 steps. Then when we live in this world... Our attitude towards God is God who is benevolent, right? Just think about it for a moment. God is not a punitive administrator sitting there waiting for us to fail. God wants to give to us. We just need to do the right things to receive that. That's just, just to put things in. Let's put the first things first. That's a very beautiful, beautiful perspective. We'll see some applications of this. Step number one. Okay. Now. But we didn't choose to play the game. Ha <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but he put us on the board. So, <laughs> so in the end of that, my, my question was not about us. My question was about him. Meaning, why should Mr. Parker, who, who invented the game, listen, why should he be playing by the rules? Is because he chose to play by the rules. He's now on the game, right? That's the point. Is God doesn't need us, but he chose to play by the rules of creating this. Right, which is which is very important to, to, to appreciate. So he's not needing, but he's wanting. Okay, so that's that that therefore sidesteps the issue of perfection. So now the question is, okay, so he wants to give to another. So obviously there needs to be what is giving, and there needs to be another. Right. So those two pieces are missing. So what is he going to do? So step number two, let's take a look at, the, at this this observation. Now, so being as he wants to give to another, so it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the, enough to give a little bit of good. He obviously wants to give the most. Now, he, it's interesting. That means to say that he's not giving, you know, a Tesla. He's not giving a French Riviera apartment. That isn't what he's giving because that's only Ksastov. That might be a little bit of good. So what's the greatest good? Like, let's sort of say, okay, so <laughs> is he the Tesla production plant, right? That comes with problems. It comes with Twitter these days, right? So like, I'm saying, like, what, what, what could be the, 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 the greatest good that, uh, that, uh, that could give? You know, so not, not an apartment, a country. That's not enough. So what, what could it be that God could give, which is the greatest good in the world, if really the giving is what he wants to do? Because it's not going to be a partial job. So what could he be giving? What's the greatest good? himself. <laughs> he says, The greatest good, the greatest source of all energy is himself. So the greatest good God can give or is willing to give is himself. So therefore, the greatest gift of giving is Allowing himself to be given. Does that make sense? Meaning, if this is the source of all energy, and anything else is being plugged into that source of energy, it's not enough to give us the paraphernalia which plugs into the energy. It needs to be the source of energy. Does that make sense? Right? I'm not giving you the machine that you can put in, you can you can take home and deliver on Amazon, and you put into the. I'm giving you a power plant, right? I'm giving you everything, all the energy that gives you the necessary power to do this. That's that makes sense. That's the greatest good, right? So that's what he's giving. So you say, well, how do we receive that? <laughs> how does that work? Right? Well, that, that's too big to even contemplate receiving. So that's step three. Step three is, is he says, you know what that means? He needs to create a somebody 
שיהיה נהנה בתור יסברך באוסוי הדרך שאפשר שיהיה הנבוי. So God now needs to create, create a recipient who is able to attach themselves to God to the degree they can. Right now, let's understand what that means. God is not sending a package of himself to somebody. Right, rather God is allowing a human being to come closer to him in order to be able to get the greatest good. Meaning the proximity is, the, the degree of proximity is the degree of reception of good. That makes sense? Now what's fascinating about this is that means to say that that depends on, therefore, the, um, we'll call it the receiver, more than it does about the giver. Does that make sense? Meaning God is not changing himself. What he's doing is, is he's presenting himself and creating a receiver. And to the degree that that receiver is able to receive is the degree they will be able to attain perfection. Does that, does that make sense? That's the, that's the necessary step, which means... Like, you know, I remember once when I, when I, when I was a, 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 a kid, we saw one of the, you know, like these kits, you get these like science kits was um, a diode, like a, a crystal diode radio. You don't know if you remember these things where you like, you know, you create the coil and you'll be able to tune into China. You know, like, you know, you can figure out what's all state secrets that are going on by getting the frequency. So the truth is it wasn't so effective because it was a very small bandwidth, right? So I mean to say the amount that you could, you could pick up on this radio set was very limited to a very specific bandwidth of radio, right? So a regular radio only captures you, whether it's AM or, or FM, is only a certain frequency um, range. So to the degree we have a frequency range is the degree we're able to absorb. So the more, therefore that means to say is that the best way to receive the most good is to not change the most good, but to fix the receiver. That makes sense? The more I'm allowing myself in is the more I'm allow, a, able to receive, okay? Which is the way the program works. So just to clarify this in, 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 in practical terms, we just recently learned Sefer HaChinuch. The Sefer HaChinuch has these unbelievable philosophical perspectives, psychological perspectives, and he buries them in different mitzvahs. So in Mitzvah 171, he describes, um, he, he, he's talking about Tuma and Tara, and he's talking about the uh, 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 process of Mitzvah and Parshish uh, Mitzvah, but he says an interesting observation. He says that God operates in this world as what's called Midah Keneged Midah, which we usually say is to the degree you measure, you get the same measure back, right? So if you're a naughty fellow, then HaKadosh Baruch is going to send it back in just the same way. He says, that's not how God operates. God, God doesn't, you know, sort of punitively punish us based on what we do. He says, no, that, it works the opposite way around. God is God is benevolent. He wants to give. He loves us. He wants us to do well. And he prescribed a certain pathway for us to be able to do well on. And what happens is that inevitably we make bad decisions and we step off of that pathway. And then we walk into the brambles along the side of the road and we get hurt and we say, God, why? And God says, why? <laughs> because what happens is that we step out of being able to receive good from him and then we question him. But God never wanted that of us. He wanted us to be able to ready ourselves, to be able to get enough bandwidth, to be able to appreciate the source of energy, which is him. But we oftentimes step out of that and in that shade, in that shadow, we, we suffer. That's just uh, the perspective of the Sefer HaChiroch shares. So let's, let's go to the next step. Okay, so this, is, this is step three. So Hashem wants to do good to others, and therefore He creates the greatest good that's available, which is Himself, to other, and that other is to the degree that that other is able to receive it. So step four. is So He says the following, Inyan HaShlemus V'achistronos V'kniyas HaShlemus Is V'ulam Gozra HaChmosa Shaliyos HaToiv Sholem Ra'ui Shiyye for to be the greatest giving, it needs to be that the person actually owns the good, not simply has it in a, we'll call it, um, inconsequential or happenstance way. What, so what does that mean? So that means like this, is if God would allow this other to receive good circumstantially, then that really wouldn't be a true giving because then Hashem would, so to speak, be superimposing goodness upon a creation that never really deserved it. So God doesn't give himself or, so to speak, access to himself as a gift because a gift is circumstantial. It has to be earned, which means, if you think about it, is I can really only be the owner of goodness if I does, uh, if I've actually worked hard to get it that's the necessary prerequisite otherwise my relationship to it wouldn't be real 
We're just discussing this actually um, on, on, on Friday night, this, this, uh, this, this Friday night. And, uh, where, and, and one of the things that I was, uh, we were thinking about is, is the manner of thinking today. Now, how do people think today? So generally speaking, w the way of thinking has changed over the last few years. So today, let's say you have a, an average student, high school, college, who's, who is now confronted with a problem. What do they do when they're confronted with an intellectual roadblock? What are, what's the first thing they do? Is they search, search for more ideas, right? Let me find out if somebody talked about this and let me take those ideas, sift through them and put the, all, all the ideas together into the paper that I'm creating or the answer that I need to be submitting, right? But what is not done, which is what used to be done before the access of information, was I would have to sit with that problem and I'd have to actually brick by brick take apart that problem, right? So like I remember when I, when I, when I had the opportunity of working through our foreman, that's how he operates, just to appreciate this. Rabbi Foreman, when he, when he comes to a problem that he comes across when and, and trying to analyze Tanakh or Gomorrah, he doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, well, let me get more information. Let me see what everybody else says in order to figure out this. He says, let me try to understand what's going on here. Let's actually think about the issue. Let me try to dissect the issue. And I'll spend hours contemplating this issue. Now you say, well, it's a different skill set because today we have access to information. So let me find out what everybody else says and sort of, you know, put a semblance of it together. Well, that's nice, but then in a certain sense, you don't really own any of that information, if you think about it, because you never really worked except for searching to find that information. Yes, okay, I, I can use my control F function in the document to find the word that I need, but that isn't, you didn't really think about that. You didn't really own that. In the, in the good old days when the information wasn't readily available and I needed to actually think about issues, then by forcing myself through the wall that is blocking my roads, I now actually own the pathway as opposed to somebody else telling me and I forget it five minutes later because I didn't really have any, cons any relationship to it. That's in terms of knowledge acquisition today. It's, it's changed. It's a different skill set, but I'm saying that it might not be a great skill set that we've supplanted. Um, that, that's, that, that has come in. This is what's called in Kabbalistic terms is what's called Nama Dekesufa, which means bread of embarrassment. That means to say that if we get to the end of this life and we get off, get off at the final station and we did nothing to deserve being basking in, in God's eternal light, and then we get to, to, to be experience that light and we did nothing to deserve it, that is the, great, the greatest shame in the world that we can experience. It's called the bread of shame, that we receive something that we didn't deserve. We'll, we will be eternally embarrassed for having wasted our train journey to, 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 to get there and not having done anything to earn the, the final ticket. That's, that, that's what, that's what the, the Mr. Shama is saying, is because it's not us. It wasn't us. We didn't do anything to get there to earn, to earn the rights to, 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 to that as well. Um, this, the, this, by the way, is, is inbuilt into our psyche, which is why we don't like gifts. Yeah, of course we like gifts, right? <laughs> but we don't like gifts. Meaning, let's say somebody gives you a gift and it's a, gift or a token gift of appreciation. It shows that that person really loves you. That's wonderful. But let's say your entire life is a gift, right? Your car, your house, everything you own, your job, was something you just got because you're a trust fund baby, right? And somebody else gave it to you. And you never really had to do anything to earn your life. You feel really rotten. We don't feel good. Sone Matanos Yechia is a puzzle. Is that the reason is we don't like to be earning somebody else's money. We don't like it that we're, we're a beneficiary of somebody else and not having worked, worked to, to be able to earn it. That's inbuilt into our psyche as a function because that is the super plan of the soul in this world. We don't like that experience. And therefore we try to work to earn what, what it is. And we'll make sometimes decisions which will cut off all kinds of benefits in order to do what we want to earn. That's the stage. It's a really, really important stage, um, this, this, this step. So move, let's move on to stage five. Okay, stage five is Alcain. Again, I'm just summarizing. These are the, the essential lines of each of these ideas, these se sections of the essay. Alcain goza resider shi yivru'u inyanei shlemus v'inyanei chisaron v'tibore b'riya shi yeh boha efsharus l'shnein yanim b'shove. So God will therefore create a creation that is able to sit in between shlemus, perfection and imperfection, and make decisions between perfection and imperfection. That's called the human being. Right? Thereby, what is the earning? What is making this Bria earn its keep is decision making. Right? The decision making between choosing Shlemus and choosing Chisaron is therefore the requisite earning pattern because I could have gone this way and I could have gone that way as well. Um, and if you think about this for, for a second, what is the human being at the end of the day, right? I mean, like we're born a certain amount of biological, emotional, you know, psychological, genetic material. 
and all that's going to be taken back, right? That, that's a lease, right? So at the end of the, at the, end of the day, we're going to have to return all that, all that stuff. And then what's going to, what, what's going to happen is, um, is uh, at, the end, at the end of the day, we are going to have to uh, return all that material. What remains of us? Who is us? So one way of saying it, there's lots of different ways of saying it, is we are the sum total of the decisions made in our life. Right? All the material, everything else is going to be taken away. We are the sum total of decisions we make in our lives. Those are re that's really tough because we don't like to make decisions, right? <laughs> we hope decisions are made for us, right? But, but ultimately, we are every choice, every crossroads we come to and we make a difficult decision and that shapes who we are. That's who we are. That's really who we are, right? So that is an incredible important, important thing to think about. Most people, in just when it comes to decision making, think about how, how we deal with decisions. Most people kind of hope that if they go to sleep, a decision will go away, right? That's the first thing we do. Then what we do is we wait it out, hoping that one of the doors will close, right? And then we'll, we'll be a victim of circumstance. We'll have to take only the, the one that remains to us. And then what we do is when that doesn't work, we ask millions of people for, uh, for, uh, for, for, for advice, hoping that somebody will just push us over the edge in one direction. It's very hard to make decisions. That's, that's, that's what life is. But think about the decisions we really made in life. And think how proud we feel about those moments, right? That's who we are because Hashem put us on that bl blade of the knife to make those decisions. That was the point, is owning our life and where we're going. So the next step, six, uh, step six. This is a fascinating point. This is, this is a, I would call it almost like 5A, where he says, What is the greatest perfection is... God. What is the greatest imperfection is the absence of God. So to speak, Heder, the absence of God. I'm listening to a you know, share, but here we go. this was from your bathroom. Here we go. Okay. Um, so, um, So, the next one is, what is the greatest perfection? So whenever I'm in the light of God, that's the closeness and, and, and perfection. When I'm in the shadow from God, that's fascinating. How did he create shadow? That's another book called Das Tvunas that he wrote. Okay, the, when I'm in the absence of God, then that's, so to speak, in, that, in the Heder Ponov, that's when there's lack of Shlemus, that's where problems come in in the world. That, which means to say, so this Bria, this creation that stands between, this decision-making process between Chisaron and Shlemus, So just to, to summarize without having to do all, all the words here, what he's saying is like this. Is the vehicle is the ends as well. Just to clarify this. Like let's say an arc, to, to explain what this isn't. In an arcade, right? So we take our kids or our grandkids and spend endless amounts of money and time in very loud, dark places, right? So when we take, uh, we take our kids to arcades, right? And, and w what ends up happening? So there's two types of games. There's the games that you just play and it's fun, like the, you know, the racing game and all these things. And, and they have so much fun and there's no outcome, right? And then the games, you get tickets. And so the kids very soon get to know which games yield the greatest amount of tickets for the least amount of effort, right? That's, the, that's what they figure out. And they work it out very quickly. And what happens is they play these games and they get, you know, like this, these, roll, these rolls of tickets. And then what they do is they cash them in for these great prizes like a pencil, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like you stand in line, you know, 1,000 tickets got an eraser, you know? <laughs> so, okay, but anyway, so that, that is what interesting is, is the currency is separate to the outcome, right? So first of all, it actually is a nice marshal in the sense of there are some people in this life who just play the racing games, right? There's no tickets whatsoever, right? But then, that's how a lot of people spend life. But then, then there's the people who are trying to get the tickets as well, right? So they're doing the less fun games because there's tickets as well because they want to cash them in. The difference is, is that the tickets and, so to speak, and, and what I'm getting they, they, they are two separate things. The tickets are a currency. It doesn't mean anything in and of itself. And then what I'm getting is the, the prize is what I want, but they have nothing to do with each other other than, the, other than that, that, that the pencil says a thousand next to it, you know, a thousand tickets or, or whatever they, they decide to do with inflation rates in the, in the, in the arcade world. It, it actually is. But when it comes to us in this world, actually the vehicle and the outcome is the same, which means my choices, right, which earn me my keep and my tickets, so to speak, are between Shlemus and Heder, right? Between comple uh, completion and lack. But completion and lack are an expression of godliness, which is what I'm trying to get to in the end. Which means the ticket itself is the outcome. Right, when I'm making a choice to be closer to God, I'm making a more values-based decision. I'm going to welcome God into my life by this decision. That itself is also an expression of Him. 
So it's not simply a token or currency which is going to get to him. It is him. Does uh, that, uh, that make sense? The vehicle of the process is also the outcome of the process. We just maybe not feel it as much yet. Okay, that's, that's a very, very important thing. So there's no separate currency. There's no brownie points that we're cashing in the, in the, sh- st- the big store upstairs. Okay? Rosie, I'm going to hold the cash. That's all right, because I, uh, I do need to do this, and I'm actually giving a lecture at 9 o'clock somewhere else, so I need to make sure to, 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 to finish this, so I apologize. I'm gonna, let's do, let's, let's do st- step, um, step eight. Um, so the, the, the outcome of this, therefore, is he says, um, oh, yes, oh, so no, step seven and step, seven, step eight, which actually relates to each other. And that is, is that, that he says, That means to say that in order for this to work, there needs to be many details in this program. For this obstacle course to, ra- to work, for me to have to make decisions, therefore there needs to be lots of obstacles. Let's, make this ha- let's think about how complex this is. I'm living in the 21st century, but there were people who were living in the 20th century, and there were people living in the 19th century. And every century, people had to make decisions. And their decisions were equally weighted decisions that, they, that were complex, right? But that means to say the paraphernalia in which they lived in, all the complexity of the times they lived in, and the mores of the society, and the rise of nationalism, the rise of communism, all those ideas, and the rise of the Industrial Revolution on the, on the physical side, all those things were there as, uh, as part of the complexity of the decision-making necessary for the human being, which means you need to have lots of ancillary props on the stage for the actors to have to do what they need to do correctly, which means, he says in step eight, the outcome of this is, is that everything else is therefore as a function of the human being, including animals and angels. Do you understand what that means? Therefore, everything else besides the human being is it's not that the human being should could be a consumer and, and destroy and consume everything. It's no. For the human being to make decisions, everything else on the stage needs to be set in order for the human being to make decisions. So therefore, everything else is, not, is, is essentially a necessary detail for the human experiment, if that makes sense. And so we may love Toto as much as we, you know, and, and it's my life, and, but that in the end of the day, it's still an animal. It's not a companion in the same way. It's not a human being because it's necessary for the human experiment to work as well. Um, it, it just if you think about this for, for a moment, if we were to judge our life like this, we would think about things differently. So like, you know, just uh, it's social media for a second, right? So, so what, is, what is the call to social media? Like let's say, you know, Facebook, you know, so, so um, yes, I date dating and, you know, and myself. But let, 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 let's, let's say Facebook. So, so what's the call to like a social media platform? So the general call is, what's the advantage? You can connect with people you went to third grade with. I mean, how else will you know? They live, lives, you know, they live in New Zealand in, in a hut in the woods, you know, and, but now they have a Wi-Fi access and you can see their pictures and you can connect with them again, right? Your class reunions and this, you can get envious of, I mean, you can see what's going on with other people all around the world with all their, their best projections of self during their birthdays and their anniversaries that they talk about. on the, So like, so there's so much gain, right? So there's a book called, by, called Cal Newport called um, Deep Work. It's really worthwhile. He's got an entire series. He's got a podcast. Very, very worthwhile thinker. Um, and one of the things that he says is that it, it, it may be true that there's added benefit, but you have to take the added benefit at the cost, meaning you have to do a cost benefit of any added benefit. Okay, so I will spend X amount of time in order that I will now know about my lost classmates, right? And I'll be able to keep in touch with those people who made Aliyah and are no longer connected with. That's, that's, that's nice. That's taking a certain amount of time. How much time does it take out of our day? At what cost? To what else, right? So what, what about giving up in order to, right? How, where does it fall in, in the hierarchy of details? That, we need to ask ourselves about that, everything else in our lives. Like, in the hierarchy of details, where does this fall, right? Is this a prop on the stage that I'm spending so much time on, right? Or is this something essential which is about my life? That, that, that's something we need to ask ourselves because if we realize that everything else is just the stage setting, then we're not going to spend a lot of money and time with it because that was a necessary prop and I'm not going to adopt a prop, right? So that, that, that's an that's a, a, a important message. Now, step nine. So now, the, obviously, the critical issue is, is with the human being. Is he says, V'uchrach shiyunach and it's necessary for the human being who is placed on the stage with all these props with the mission of getting closer to Hashem by perfecting themselves to get closer to Him by choosing the vehicle which will ultimately lead to, lead to the goal of being close to God. That human being needs to have an equal weighted decision-making process. That means 
No predeterminism. It cannot be that the human being is born genetically, psychologically, psychically, or environmentally predetermined to make one decision over the other. In this human being's life, it needs to be equally weighted that they have choices to make, which may be so hard for them, but because of where they are. And they can change the course of their life based on those decisions. That's necessary. That's a basic fundamental of faith in order for this whole experiment to work. Right now, are those who say this doesn't exist. There are those who say everything we can finally figure out where in the genes it works, where in the environment we became who we became. That's not a Jewish idea. We have to have that. And by the way, this idea shifts all the time. It shifts in our own lives. Reverse 15 years. Were the decisions that we were making then the same decisions we're making now? I certainly hope not. Right? Because our lives changed. We've been through more experience. We've had, we're in a different stage of life. So even in our own lives, it's changing. But think about the, the life of humani humanity. Think about over the centuries, the types of decisions that people made, right? Somebody, somebody, was, somebody was saying, there was a, a Russian immigrant who said, in America, everybody is depressed. And he says, in Russia, we're all just hungry, right? <laughs> there wasn't time to be depressed, right? You had to, <laughs> you had to find the next turnip. Right. The point is, is that the, 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 what you had to struggle with is completely different, even in locale and certainly in time. That's why Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky says there was a certain period in history where there was there was um, raging paganism. Avodah was a huge thing. It was the thing and everybody was running after it because there was real power in those things. Why? You know why? It's because there was prophecy. So if God was talking directly to human beings, then what choice would we have then not to listen to him? Unless there was another false prophet living on the other corner who says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm conjuring up the powers of the earth and the moon to do X. And that sounded like it worked as well. So we had to make decisions between those, but the, so to speak, the stage props or the paraphernalia that the, um, had changed. And then when, when, when prophecy diminished, then so too, there's this raging paganism diminished at the same time. The idea of shadim, the Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky talks about, the idea of these de demonic um, forms, these the, um, also diminished when the sages or the, the, the people who lived a spiritually high life, who could do all kinds of things on this positive end, also disappeared. There was a diminishing over, over history because why? Because we, seated in the middle, needed to be able to be equally balanced in terms of our decision-making process. Just in terms of the, the shift of that, that process narrowing over the times of history, but still being equally weighted. Finally, step, um, step 10. That's the case. He says, he says the following. This is, this is where it comes down to what we've been talking about, which is our series. The human being has two components. So we have a soul inside of us, which is ethereal, and a body, which is very material. There's going to be this constant war because what happens is there are two voices. One is the voice of value, of reason, our ideas, and the other is the value of physical needs. And so forth. so to speak, that decision-making process is very easily bifurcated, not always, but easily bifurcated along the meridian that separates between the soul needs and the body needs as well. Um, now, a little secret about this is that the body needs are a little louder today than they used to be. Okay, so it's, I mean, say my drive for I need a coffee is going to be a much louder voice then I need to fix my anger problem, right? And, and, and so, so, so the a value idea is going to be a diminished because it's a much more ideas are quieter than things and tangible needs, right? And, and today, right, today it expresses itself, the material needs are expressed itself in two words um, today, um, which is entertainment and convenience. Those are material needs. And most of our lives are driven by those two principles in the Western world, if you think about it, right? I will not go to the store, but I will order online is, is a matter of Convenience, right? So that, that, that shapes the way I act, but that is a material need. That's a body need. Whereas I will go to shul because I know I need to nourish my neshama is a value need. That's an neshama need, but it's much harder to do that. It's much harder to, to, to listen to that voice when, it, when sometimes it means to say getting up in a very cold and dark time in the year because, um, it, because that decision I need to make. That's in terms of trying to understand where we are depends on where we understand our body or our soul calling out in this coming back to the princess in the woods, which is what he said in his other book. Finally, the last two steps, he says, in order for this all, all to be fair, it needs to be, It doesn't make sense to say, okay, kids, we're going to have a, a, a test in high school. And they say, okay, how long is the test? And they say, forever. <laughs> 
doesn't work like that. There needs to be a bound time. There needs to be, this test is going to take two hours. It's going to take three hours. It's going to be a three-week project. But the point is there needs to be an end point that you're working so that at the end I'll be able to grade you on what you're working on. Same thing with this. He says, and therefore, that's what step 12 is. Therefore, There's the working stage. That's this world. And then there is the receiving stage, which is Olam Hasn't started for anybody yet, according to most Mepharshim. In order for this to be fair, it's not that I earn a little bit and I get. And I earn a little bit and I get. Schar mitzvah al That doesn't work like that. We are now on the train. We are now in this space along this corridor trying to earn. There will be a time where we will receive. But that's going to be at the end as well. We can ask ourselves, why didn't the other model work? Why wouldn't it be enough to be able to get immediately? Why is the time period, why is this testing period so long, at least from our perspective? Because, you know, we're, we're, we're caught within, within time. This is, this is the, the observation he makes. Now, what, this is the, the, basic, the basic, we'll call it framework that he's created here. Basic 12 steps that the way I, I divided in, 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 in his thought as to what God wanted and how that expresses itself in this world. It makes a lot of sense, which is why we are here caught in the middle and every decision that we're making when we're listening to the call of the ideas as opposed to the call of the material, every time we're listening to an idea in ourselves, we are incrementally changing ourselves to be receptacles of being closer to God so that ultimately we will be able to be closer to God. Um, through, uh, at the end of the process, even though through the process we're also becoming closer to God by, by those decisions. Right? So that all makes sense. What do, we, what do we not address now is that's all general. That's very, very nice. What about me? Like, so how, how do I know what I'm supposed to be doing? It's not the same as you're supposed to be doing, I hope, right? And it's not, you're, what you're supposed to be doing is not the same as what you're supposed to be doing because that wouldn't make sense. Each of us are here for a unique purpose. We haven't even addressed that. That's going to be sheer for about reincarnation. And what we also haven't discussed over here is that it seems that the process is a very long process. And how do we deal with after death? If Olam Abba is in the future, then what happens after death? Right? So, so what about that stage of the game? That's the next share. Okay? So we have two, two, these two issues are clearly we have not addressed yet. The, the other piece of this over here, which I think I'll close with today, is, and we'll close with this, this, this thought, is that uh, we actually studied this just recently. The Gemara tells us that there are two sources for the, for the idea of prayer today. One is a keneged avos tiknum or keneged timidim tiknum. How was it that God, uh, why, why do we pray today? Is it because of what the patriarchs and matriarchs did in their relationship to God? Or is it because of timidim or the korbanos? Rav Kook says in, in his commentary on the Gemara in Brachos, it's a very beautiful observation. He says that there are two ways of perfecting the soul. One way of perfecting the soul is by, by looking inside and figuring out, and in my relationship with HaKadosh Baruch what am I doing in this world? But then there's another way of perfecting the soul. And that is, he's saying, how am I part of this national entity? How am I going to perfect the world at large? And Rakuk says, I'm not sure which one comes first. I'm not sure if I become perfect individually by subsuming myself in national activity, or if by making myself perfect, I make the national activity better. I'm not sure which way it is. And that's what Keneged Avos or Keneged Timidim Tiknum is. At the beginning of the game, the Avos were a family. They weren't a nation. And how they become perfect? They looked inside, they looked in the mirror, and they self-perfected themselves. And then there came a stage where we had Kobaras Tibor, where we had to bring these communal sacrifices, and we had to become better together. And Tfila, in our relationship of God, has both. This is another aspect which the Siddur is not addressing over here, the Derech Hashem is not addressing, is what is, how do we become perfect? as individuals, a community, and which one is the chicken and which one is the egg. And he ruminates and he says he's not sure which is the, better, the place to start and which is the place to end, which is the goal, which is the vehicle as well. So as you can see, yes, we've kind of covered these 12 steps, but there's a lot more that we need to cover. And that is what happens after death, because that's still in Olam arguably. Number two is, what is our unique tikkun nefesh which is, which is related to my specific journey over here and how do I figure that out. Bezor Hashem will cover that in the next few weeks. Have a wonderful day and thank you for taking the time to be